What is going on? Welcome to Land Podcast. This week, we have a great episode. It's with Nick Shalma from Wisconsin. He's been a guest here on the show previously, and uh, he's a financial advisor by trade, a serious land buyer, investor. And uh, it's always great to get these types of perspectives from people who have a lot of traditional investing background, but also see the value in land. And so we're asking him a lot of different questions here about how to have a good balance or what is a fair balance. And uh, it's a great perspective. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Before we get into it, Bevel Fest is wrapping up. You can use the code LP to save 15% off the entire Exodus website. If you want to save on a run render bundle, you can use code render two and buy two Exodus renders and save $171. If you wanna get some Rivals, our brand new camera from earlier this year, you can save $120 when you buy four Exodus Rivals using the code Rival4. You want some SD cards, you can never have enough of those. You can use the code SD10 and save $50 off of a bundle of 10 SD cards. So those come out to about $10 a piece. That is uh, it's a really good deal. And then lastly, if you want to uh, gift yourself or give someone else an Exodus gift card, you can use the code GIFT20, GIFT20, to save 20% off any Exodus gift card. So great opportunity to uh, gift yourself something or uh, save 20% and give it to someone else. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you are brand new here to the Land Podcast, I'm going to tell you what the goal here is. It's very simple. It's to help 100 people buy their first piece of land. There's three ways to be included on that list. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois and I can assist you, I would be more than happy to do so. Number two, if you wanna get connected with someone that I would possibly do business with, I'm happy to make an introduction and uh, you can make your own decision from there. And then number three, if you just simply learn something here from the show that helps you move forward with confidence, I wanna know. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Next week, we have Joe Carter on, who is a lender by profession and also a land buyer himself. And there's some really good information in that episode as well. So we have a couple great episodes here back to back. Hope you guys have an awesome week. Here we go. Nick, how's it going? Doing good. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing well, man. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's been a little over a year, I think. Yeah, I think it was last September we talked right after uh, my buddy closed on this property. So... Yeah. Um, doing good. How about yourself? Man, doing doing great. The year's flying by. It's August. I'm getting uh, extremely excited for deer season. <laughs> I'm sure you are yeah, too. But I'm Doing some velvet scouting tonight on one of my newer pieces and pretty excited for that. So I love that. Yeah, it's it's an exciting time of year. I mean, uh, anticipation is about as... Uh, it's, it's climbing every single day. And I know uh, the amount of like deer pictures that are getting sent to me, like, check out this book, check out this. It's exponentially yeah. growing. <laughs> I'm excited because August is a stay out month for me. And I've been putting a lot of hard work in all summer and uh, I'm ready to sit back and relax a little bit after all the hard work. So, yeah, man. Well, before we get too far into this, go ahead and reintroduce yourself because we've had a, a lot of new listeners since the last time we talked. So uh, there's likely some folks that didn't catch the last episode. So go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit. Yeah, little bit I'm Nick Scalma. I'm a financial advisor with Ever Jones in Appleton, Wisconsin. I basically help people retire for a living or live in retirement and invest their you know, stock accounts, right? So their 401ks, IRAs, or their whatever, their, their, their non-qualified stock accounts. But at the same time, my, a lot of my own personal money goes into land. Uh, I view it as a great investment. I've done very well on it. Um, I not necessarily talk about that with most of my traditional clients, but a lot of people have inquired about it and uh, I enjoy sharing the knowledge I have there. 
Yeah. How, how did you originally decide you wanted to be a financial advisor? And I, and I, I creeped, wait, real quick though, I creeped your LinkedIn. You were a, a real estate agent for about 11 months too. So yeah. So in college, I was a realtor because I, I really, I, I knew I wanted to be a financial advisor. My dad was kind of Northwestern Mutual, not the greatest company, but still was a great advisor. And, <laughs> a, lot of uh, meme, a lot of memes on those. <laughs> a lot of, yeah. A lot of people trusted him and it was a lot of power to us, you know, and, and he taught me that if you think about your client's best interest, they'll take care of you. So I knew I wanted to do that. I was an economics major and a business major in college. I lived above an Edward Jones office. And basically to get started at a young age, I knew I needed some sales experience. So I was actually like thinking about how can I get hired by Edward Jones? And the Edward Jones advisor told me, hey, go get some sales experience. So I became a realtor in college and did really well for a couple summers selling with Century 21, just real, just regular homes. Um, but it gave me some sales experience, got me the opportunity to get hired right out of college. And I started as a 21 year old, started my business 22 years old, and I've been here 11 and a half years now. So that's um, cool. Was there, was there ever a challenge being you know, 22 to let's say 25, where you're like, you're, you're sitting across the table from a guy that has worked for 30 years. And, and he's like, all right, well, what do I need? Yeah, to do I, had one, I had one guy say that you're 22 years old and this other advisor's got 33 years of experience. I couldn't sleep at night trusting you with my money. And you know what? He ate his words because the other advisor kind of screwed him over. But <laughs> I always say that, Hey, me being 22 years old, working for a great firm like Edward Jones is in your benefit because you don't want your doctor or, uh, you know, your lawyer retiring on you someday. I got 40 years to go. I could carry this through your retirement to uh, to your kids someday. So it's actually been a benefit. And now that I'm 33 with 12 years of experience, that's even a bigger plus because I'm young and I got the experience. So yeah. it works out great for me. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine that would be an objection sometime. But no, that's that's really cool. And um one last time we talked about land contracts and and how you approached that. But before we get into that, why don't you just remind us a little bit about when you bought your first piece and uh, kind of what you've done since then? And we can dive into some of those a little bit. Yeah, later too, six years ago, I, I I started just by wanting to own my own hunting land, and I uh, didn't necessarily view it as much of an investment opportunity until I kind of saw it like in real time, right? So I went out there and I pounded the pavement, I knocked on doors, I cold called. And I found a gentleman, I introduced myself, he liked me. Uh, and I think that's a, a huge value is finding someone that just wants to sell to you because they like you. Because not everyone's, people are willing to sell. Sometimes they want the top dollar. Sometimes they want a neighbor they like, or they want to sell to a good person. And uh, he liked me. I liked the property a lot. He, I asked him what he wanted for me for it. And he gave me a fair price. I realized he was also a retiree in a pretty low income bracket with him and his wife. And he, he had owned it for a long time. So he had a pretty big sizable capital gain. And my knowledge of land contracts, I know that if you can spread out a land contract, you defer the gain over the time of the land contract. So he would have sold it with maybe a hundred thousand dollar gain. I bought it for like 135,000, 3,000 an acre, 46 acres. Because I only paid him 25 grand a year or so for six years, it was, it was 35 on the last year, but he had to realize that gain over that six year period, that 25,000 a year fell inside of his capital, his 12% ordinary income tax bracket where capital gains are at 0%. So if he realized north of 30 to 35,000 a year from the land contract 
anything over 30 would have been taxed at 15% as it would have been in this 22% bracket. So by understanding his financial situation, I was able to help save him on tax. He actually didn't pay any tax on the property. And he was given it was a shorter term, six years, he didn't need interest. So I would, I basically said 135, 25 a year for five years and 35 the last year. And it worked out for him and it really worked out well for me. I had the cash flow to afford it, paid it off in six years, zero interest. And today that I improved that property from a blank canvas, his kind of like little play area to a really quality deer hunting property that now I've shot three mature bucks there in three years. Like last year was two mature bucks. Wow. And uh, I could probably sell for 300 grand a day if I wanted. So, mm-hmm. well, I think that's, that's such an important thing when you're talking about how, you know, you're working with the, the seller's intention too. like, you kind of uh, feel that it transfers from your, your day to day job. But the biggest thing is too, it's, if he could have uh, hypothetically listed, it got slightly more money. Yep. He would have had a big old tax bill and he probably would have ended up netting less. And then obviously there's a, there's a mutual benefit there. So it's like, in my mind, it's, these scenarios, there is often mutual benefit. He could have, he, he could have, in hindsight, sold it for maybe thirty to fifty thousand more at the time. Um, the neighbor next door is a jerk to him, and he doesn't like him. And he would have probably bought it, and he wouldn't have liked his neighbor. He likes me. We get along great. I come over there. We we get lunch once in a while. Like he's happy it went to me. And and that's when viewing land buying opportunities that's important is you can you can find these deals sometimes if you find the right seller and the right buyer together mm-hmm. um you know my second land contract i actually have done three or four my second land contract was an old guy nearing the end of his life he he didn't have a family member he wanted to go to i knocked on his door that was the day that i was two for two knocking on doors and <laughs> I knocked on his door and he's like, well, I hadn't really considered selling it, but yeah, I mean, I don't have anyone to leave it to. Um, I bought the first property on a loan because I really wanted property A. And then after I bought property A, I was like, well, what about that 84 acre farm field over there? He's like, well, I, I don't know. I'm like, well, what do you, would you sell it? What do you want for it? And he's like, well, I'd take 2,500 an acre. And I'm like thinking in my head, like sold, like, okay. And I'm like, well, Ed, would you, would you, would you be interested in a land contract? Because you got a lot of capital gain on there. You've owned that for 50 years. If I give you 21 grand a year for 10 years, you probably wouldn't have to pay any tax on that. And he's like, well, that sounds good. I could use the income. Mm-hmm. I don't need to sell it. And so I worked with him and posed it as an idea and he really liked it. Right. So it works out great for me because 21 grand a year for 10 years, that property spits up 10 grand a year in income from the farm mm-hmm. field and the cell tower. So yeah. I only got to put 11 grand a year into it, which is great. That's a great, I mean, that investment huge. 10 years from now could have a 30 to 40% rate of return because I got it at a good price. My interest expense is zero. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I get good income from it to help make the payment. Mm-hmm. Uh, my third land contract, different person. He was just ready to retire and he needed income. And so he had, he was thinking about selling the farm just to live on. And he liked the idea of saving on the tax as well. And just having a, it basically as a social security check, I sent him $3,333 a month, 40 grand a year. And so he, he needed the income. He turned his land into an income stream for him in retirement. So, Mm -hmm. um, but just having the conversations and working through the situation with the seller, you know, sometimes that land contract can be attractive. 
The negative is if I default on the land contract, I lose the property. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a pro to them. Yep. Now, I know I'm never going to do that. I, I always bake in a year to sell it if I need to. When I buy it at a good deal, I could always sell it if I needed to. Mm-hmm. But they don't necessarily have to pay tax if we do it right. Um, they get the property back. I, I think, um, you know, um, and then it creates that cash flow, right? So it, it works out for them if it's the right person. But, you know, it's not right for anyone. A, a guy with plenty of money or in the 22% bracket is probably not going to fit for. It's mm-hmm. a tool in my tool belt to use that can benefit me and the seller if it's the right situation. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's probably an underused tool across the board. I think uh, it's a little bit more work for a potential buyer to go through that. And, you know, pros- you have to prospect and you have to articulate what you're trying to say and to the point where they understand and, and you understand what you're saying. And so I think there there's a little bit of a learning curve, but I definitely think it can be done. And hopefully uh, people have a little better idea after listening to this. And I encourage yeah. we talked about it in more detail, too, in the last episode, too. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like you're not going to find any listing for the sellers like advertising a land contract. Most listings, they just want the cash. Right. Yep. But for, you know, quite a few people don't want to sell because of the tax impact that it's going to step up in basis when they're gone someday. And so those people could so you could find some more sellers that aren't interested in selling just because a land contract could make sense. And most people don't know it's an option or don't know about it. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a tool in my tool belt to, to help uh, basically as an investment have a higher rate of return for me long term. So mm-hmm. that's that's the benefit on me is is I can usually get a better purchase price and save on tax or on the interest, which the interest expense is huge as far as the long term rate of return when holding a property long term. Right. So. Yeah. And that I mean, that's funny, too, because last time we spoke, I mean, interest rates uh, were it's. It's the fastest acceleration in, in interest rates in 21 years is kind of yeah. the most recent headline. What do you think of that? Yeah. You know, I mean, last time we talked, the arms were three and a half percent still and the fixed rates were six. Now yep. the arms are seven to eight and the fixed rates are seven to eight. So, I mean, we've seen the Fed's trying to slow inflation. They're trying to nip it in the bud. So it's done with and they're going to keep rates higher a little longer than expected, um, but they're going to start lowering them eventually. Um, the question is, when do they lower it? How, how much do they lower? And that probably has to do more with what we don't, can't control is, are we going to still end in a recession? We haven't had one yet. Uh, if we have, it's not been, not been bad. Uh, there's still potential of a recession. A lot of analysts are, say yes, some say no, some say it already happened. The, the big thing to take away is no one knows, and you got to be a little cautious because there is chance of a recession yet. Um, but if there's a, if there's a bad recession, they're going to cut rates real sharp. If there's no recession, there's no real need to cut rates significantly other than trying to avoid a recession. So they'll cut them, but who knows how low they'll get back to. I doubt they'll get back to two, 3%. We're thinking probably four to five is realistic in the next two to three years. So, yeah, yeah. If, if we knew for sure, you could definitely hedge some monster bets. (laughs) That's That's the challenge. The walls are always murky, and this time more than most, I think. Um, but you know, the con- we're going through an economic process right now, and uh, it's hard to tell where we're going to be in three to four years. But I know land's going to continue to go up in value. The question is whether or not it'll take a dip down. Uh, it might be already a little bit, but not much, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so this is interesting to me, and I want your perspective. This is a little bit outside of the scope, typically, but given your profession, um, I just want to get your opinion. So. The since interest rates started getting hiked up, 
the the S and P five hundred is now five percent higher than what the first height rake started in like May of twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, October, so does that October twenty one to October twenty two, the market was down twenty six percent, and it's up twenty percent since October twenty two. So we're in a recovery. A typical bear market is a U shape where it's down a year, up a year, and we're in the middle of that, right? Um, I don't know if it has as much to do with interest rates or not. I think it has to do with the health of the consumer. We People are still spending money, which meaning companies are still making money. Um, the economy has been much more resilient than we would have expected back when we first started raising rates. People thought a recession was imminent. It was going to be bad. And it's been, the, the economy has been pretty resilient, I guess you'd say. So that's why the stock market's recovery. Now there's still potential for a recession. There's still potential for more volatility, more down potentially coming. And it's, you know, you can't prepare for it. Um, you just got, you, you just got to expect it could happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so with, uh, with that being in, in, in mind, like a uh, little bit of a limbo uh, of a current economic state, like land prices from my perspective have remained stable. Um, People have lost drastic purchasing power with interest rates. And yep. so, and then obviously the stock market has rallied. So I think there's maybe a little bit of a positive sentiment with that as people seen their accounts recover. I mean, what, as someone that's listening to this right now, they've saved up some money. What, what would you suggest them to, to have in mind? I'm not telling them, not asking you to tell them what to do, but what should they have in mind with, okay, prices have stabilized interest rates. They're kind of baking in another uh, hike in September. Well, I'm sure you all wished you would have bought maybe two, three, four years ago. Sure. It's been a pretty incredible run in land prices. Oh, yeah. And I think they're more cyclical long term. I think that the I think what you should expect with your land that it should average a five to six to seven percent appreciation year somewhere in there. Uh, and there's going to be good years and there's going to be bad years. And if you view it as a long term investment, you'll be fine. Right now, today, I, I after buying buying after a big run like we've just had, you maybe should prepare yourself that there could be slower years in the future. You know, usually, you know, good years in the stock market, like 2020, 2021 are followed by some slower years that that happens. And it's pr probably pretty similar with land, but in the long term, today is going to be a great buying point, right? I think everyone should focus on investing and saving. It doesn't necessarily matter if it's stocks or land how much are you saving, right? And where are you saving it? If you're sitting in the bank account making zero right now, well, inflation's 5%, you're losing money safely, right? You know, their cash is paying 5.2 money markets right now. You need to be making sure your cash is at least doing something. Now, whether you buy land or you buy stocks in a 401k or in a brokerage account, any investment's gonna be good long-term. In the short-term, who knows? I think that there's possibility that you could see a dip in both places, stocks and land. Mm -hmm. possibility, no guarantee. I don't have that crystal ball, but if you're looking for short-term investment opportunities, it's hard to predict. It's hard to time the market. Like we've said, it's usually time in the market, not timing the market. And if you're saving 5% of your income, you're not really saving enough for retirement, right? If you're saving 15 to 20 to 30%, whether it's land or stocks, you're probably going to be pretty successful, right? Mm -hmm. So um is that the saving is that the savings rate you tell your clients to try to strive for five percent of their income or is well five you have, is like, no five is like most people do five to six in their 401k because their employer gives them a match, match. and realistically yep. five to six isn't enough to if you save from you know 30 to 65 and save only five percent you're probably not going to be able to maintain your standard of living meaning you're going to have to take a pay cut in retirement 
So mm -hmm. I think most advisors recommend 10 to 15. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm always about trying to increase your income and the more you save, the more you're going to have, the earlier you can retire. A big conversation with the land deal is some guys put all their money in the land and they might have to sell their land someday to live on. And that's why I, that's a lot of risk putting all your money in one asset class land. Right. Mm -hmm. I like to diversify because I don't, you know, historically stocks have done better than land. They, they they're more volatile, but historically they've done a little bit better. That being said, I don't know what's going to do better the next 30 years. Land sure. could do better. If there's more, I mean, if the demand just skyrockets for land over the next 30 years, like it has the last 20, land could be a great investment. Um, I like to do, just diversify and hedge my bet and put money in different areas. Mm -hmm. so. I mean, I, I talk to all sorts of different guys and I do know quite a few people that are all in on land. And I think their perspective typically is that those pieces have income. And so they can live off the income of the parcel. And then if they're paid for, then that's stocks the, that's have the income too. Uh, <laughs> Gamble pays a 4% dividend. They've increased that dividend for the last 70 years, right? So most of those guys don't know the stock market and then they don't like seeing on their statement, it goes up and down every day. When we don't realize that our land goes up and down in price every oh, day sure. too, we just don't yeah. get a statement, right? Yeah. So we can't look at it on our phone and be like, oh, it's worth this today, right? So, um, it's a little, I mean, the stock market's a little bit more volatile. It's also because if you take that that more volatility, you're usually rewarded with more return. But mm -hmm. what you can't do and you can't do in the stock market is you can't buy a four hundred thousand dollars stock for for a hundred thousand dollar down payment and leverage the bank's money. And so that's sure. the when interest rates are low, leveraging bank money is huge, right? When interest rates are high, if they stay at seven eight percent, you you might actually tr significantly underperform you know, who knows? So, yeah. All right. But, but here, okay, here's, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here for a minute. So some of those parts, those first three parcels you bought, you can't call up uh, Procter and Gamble and be like, Hey, you know, I don't know if you guys want to sell any stock. Um, you know, I, I'm in a position to buy some, I was hoping you could sell it to me 30, per, you know, 20% under market or 10%. Oh, under yeah, market. I know. I mean, that's why, <laughs> that's why I do it is like, you can't buy, like I mentioned in the last podcast, you can't buy a $500,000 house for 350 grand because everyone knows what their house is worth. You can't buy a $500,000. I mean, sometimes you can find stocks that are undervalued, but realistically, they're always currently valued, right? Mm -hmm. So you can't buy a $500,000 stock for 350 and then only put 80000 down because you're going to leverage the make money, bank's money. And then you put 10, 15 grand into manicuring the property and now you can sell it for over market at 600000 So you could... You could clear some significant profit on land if you find the right investment opportunity, the right property at the right deal. You know, at the same time, when you find a really good deal by cold calling or door knocking, you don't, I think you could get a bad reputation real quick if you were just flipping it. Sure. Right? I, don't, I think the people flipping land are buying it from a realtor <clears throat> or an auction and buying a blank canvas, then putting the legwork in and selling it. Right. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't tell people to go buy it from, grandpa down the road, buy it under market and then sell it on them two years later. I don't think yeah. that's a good ethical decision, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm, I'm glad you clarified that because it, it's, uh, I feel like it's pretty easy to, to tarnish a reputation, uh, especially yeah. by doing something like that. But I think the, the inverse of that is when it is listed or if it is at auction and anyone could have an opportunity to buy it. And I, I think uh, that's a little bit different, but yeah, it's, it's such an emotional thing, like all real estate, primary residence, and then obviously recreational ground. Those are very emotional things versus uh, stocks, 
Like there's no, like my grandpa bought this stock and blah, blah, blah. And he's had it ever. Like there is none of that really. It's, but there is that with land. I see it sometimes. I'm sure stuff. you do. Yeah. <laughs> my dad worked at 3M and I inherited his stock and I got a million dollars in 3M stock. And I'm like, well, that's a lot of risk because that company could go bankrupt. But yeah, you, you see it occasionally, but not as much as you see it in land for sure. Uh-huh. Right? That's more of a generational thing where you keep, you keep it. So. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, another fascinating thing, like stock market versus land is the fact that the stock market, I would say there's some of the smartest people on earth are in that space. And then even we'll say residential real estate like that has, there's been so much more information and the process has basically become a commodity, like with with this estimate, the truly estimate, like people can get a really good idea. Obviously there's a variance on that and they're not accurate. So super accurate with raw land. I still feel that there's a lot of inefficiencies into your point of, of trying to truly value parcels. And I think in the next 20 years, that'll change. I think it will become much more to what residential is like today. So I, I personally see like a fleeting window in my mind. I've seen it happen over the last five years since I started, for sure. People know what it's worth a little bit more than they did maybe, you know, four or five, six years ago. And that's probably social media. That's pro- I mean, there's probably numerous factors behind that, right? So I see this opportunity window of buying land really undervalued kind of leaving. But, um, you know, I'm sure it's still out there, right? Yeah. You just got to put the effort just, in to find it. Yeah, it'll just be less. Because then you talk to guys that bought a bunch of ground in the 90s. And, the, and it's like, the, it's the same story over and over and over and over again. And so I just see that pattern continue. And I still see it just like, like if it was, you know, a, a 10 out of 10 in the 80s and then like an 8 out of 10 in the 90s. And then like in terms of the opportunity out of 10, like there will be a point where, I think the desire to own your own property over the last 30 years was just significantly greater than it was the prior 30 or 40 years. And so I think that land's been just a really good investment the last 20 to 30 years here. The question is, does that desire for land and being uh, not, you know, it's not a stock, there's no earnings, the company can't go up in value. It's if there's more buyers than sellers, the prices are going to go up. And does that demand for land keep going up this next 20, 30 years like it did the last 30? Land's going to be a great investment. Um, and some of that stuff you can't control, but I got to believe, I mean, with social media, people want to shoot bigger bucks. People want to get out of the cities, the crazier the country gets, right? So I think the demand for land is just going to continue to increase. I personally do. That's why I stick a lot of money there. I also really, really enjoy my land. Like it makes me happy to be there on Fridays and Saturdays and yeah. tonight going in velvet scouting. Like it just makes me extremely happy where my stock account can't really do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, you know, that's why I think it's great to own some. Now, do I think you should stick all your money there? No. Right. But, you know, how much goes where that's a personal decision. All right. I'm going to this this is something we didn't talk about previously. I'm going to probably catch you off guard. You have ten million dollars. Like uh, I come to you, I have ten million dollars. I just won the, the mini lottery. And, you know, me, I really like deer hunting. And mm-hmm. I also want to have some form of retirement. How would you allocate? $10 million knowing as my goal is to own quite a bit of land and we're in the Midwest. That's a good question. Um, you know, I would probably, I don't know if I would pay cash for a bunch of properties. I would probably leverage bank money, especially if rates were two, three, 4%, right now, right now I'd be a little cautious. Maybe it'd be, uh, you know, you'd be buying paying cash for some, but 
I don't know. I probably, my goal is to be half and half. I think that that's a good decision. And then if you're not retiring, if you're still working, like if you're like, Hey, I got this 10 million, but I'm still going to work and I don't need that income. We could take the income from the 5 million in the stock account, the dividends to make the payments on the other 5 million that maybe you bought, maybe you times that by five. Cause again, 20% down and you leverage the money. So now you bought 25 million worth of real estate. You put $5 million down and use the five thousand, the income from the $5 million stock account to make the payments. Now you're leveraging money, right? So I think that that could, ha- that could be a good idea. I just hate interest rates at 7.5% like with a passion, right? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. It, it depends what day. I mean, I'd be a lot more confident doing that three years ago than I would today, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. And with... Um... Yeah, we don't have to dive into that. I was just going to ask, like, with the $5 million into, let's say, just the S&P 500, with what would be the potential withdrawal rate of that, like 3% a year, 4%? Well, you know, I, I don't think you put it all in the S&P 500 or all in stocks, because what happens if we go through a bear market period and you don't really want to sell the stocks where they're down? So I think you'll put in other assets like bonds and and whatnot just to have be prepared for if what happens if you have a three-year period where stocks are negative and you just have to sell the stocks at a, at a loss, that, that can really hurt it long-term. So I still think you'd be diversified. But a usual withdrawal rate for a retiree is between four and 5%. You take out four to 5% of the value, it should maintain the value. So if you have $5 million, pull up my handy dandy calculator here, uh, 5% of that is, you know, 250 grand a year in payments you could be making out of the portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would, I wouldn't want to withdraw 10% off the portfolio a year because then you likelihood that you're going to run out of money before those properties are paid off. So. Mm-hmm. I probably want to look at calculating and making good decisions, you know, and, and hopefully what it led to was 20 years from now paid off 25 million, you know, paying off that, those loans mm-hmm. from the income from the property, maybe that stock stock accounts at 10 million and you bought, you paid 25 million for that land and now it's worth 70. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a way to, to leverage to turn 10 million into 80 million over a 20, 30 year period. So yeah. Well, it's very, uh, very blue sky. I mean, I think uh, there might, there may be one person listening to this that may be in a similar position, but I think most guys that listen to this are, are just getting started. And uh, let's, let's talk to that person right now. And so with where interest rates are at right now, and you talk about how just even uh, money market accounts getting roughly 5%. So I, I'm stashing away. I'm doing my employer, employee match, employer match for my retirement. Sure. And then I also want to do another, let's say I'm going to take out an extra 15% of my income. I'm going to cut back on some other things and I want to put 15% of my income into this land fund. What would you, and I have the intention to buy in, let's say two and a half to three and a half years. What's, how what's strategy? For that how much money do you have in your bank account right now? In this example, um, they have an emergency fund. Let's say they have $10,000 in that account started right now. So, you can't, in my opinion, you're not looking for land until you got your down payment, right? So I'd be saving that. I'd be putting it in the money market fund. Like we sell to our clients a money market fund that's, you know, band five plus percent or whatever uh, current rates right now. And, and I'd be putting it in there and building that down payment and just always thinking like, hey, if I got 30 grand in there and I got 10 in my regular checking and I got 30 in my land fund, well, 30 times five because I want to put 20% down. So mm-hmm. 20% of a hundred is one fifth. So 
I can 30 times five, I can afford uh what does that come to? Uh, 150000 dollars property, right? So two hundred dollars property. So you can buy a two hundred thousand dollar property with it, right? Um, hundred and eighty divided by five is thirty-six. So thirty times five, you can buy a hundred and fifty thousand dollar property. So the more you get in the in the in the down payment account, the more you can fund. And if you're saving and if you're currently watching your savings and you're saving enough to make the payment, you're comfortable to do it, right? So mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't think I'd ever tell anyone to put 5% down on land. There's a chance you're underwater if these sure. prices come back, right? Then you got PMI insurance on top of it. So you're sinking more money into the cost of owning the land, which is lowering the return. So if you want to buy land, you should be saving and you should, you should figure out how much is in the budget to be investing in this property, right? I got 2000 a month I'm saving right now. So two years from now, I'll have 24 grand and I can look for a property with a $2,000 a month payment realistically. Now I wouldn't go right exactly there and bleed you dry if things get tough. Like if you need a new roof and a water heater and things, life happens, you got to have a safety net, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, but uh, I, I'd be saving for the down payment. Um, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm saving a cash and when I find something to buy, I'll buy it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think everyone uh, that gets started like saving that initial down payment is for sure uh, the biggest challenge for most people. And so I think, uh, are you a big automation for savings guy where you automatically have it or are you moving stuff around? I just like, I threshold rebalance. And what that means is like, like when I hit, when I hit 20 grand in my checking account, I send five to my Edward Jones money market or whatever, you know what I mean? And then I build back to 20 and I go back to 15 and I send it. So I save it as quick as I got it. I don't like, if, if I had a tighter budget, I'd probably just force myself to save the thousand and pull it out and then live within my means. I've got a little extra cash flow than most. Um, so I, I can just save when I got it, right? And then invest it when I got the money to invest it. So, mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't, you know, you could find a land contract where you only got to put in 20 grand a year and you don't have to have that down payment then. I mean, that's an option, right? Mm -hmm. But I really wouldn't be looking for land until you were in a financial position to afford said land. That just yeah. gets you a butt hurt when you find the property you can't buy it. <laughs> I right? couldn't, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I think uh, people, I think sometimes people, this is just from my agent perspective, people get a little annoyed when you're like, are you pre-qualified? Have you talked to a bank yet? And there's mm -hmm. some that, that understand that. And there's some people like, well, I don't, I don't want to do that right now. It's like, well, what happens when we find the perfect piece? You'd love it. You take your wife out there, you drive by there five times. And then meanwhile, you're trying to get pre-approved for the loan. And then they call back like, ah, sorry. Yeah. You're not quite. That's probably the hard part in your job is having all the tire kickers that aren't ready. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'm not saying you get a lot of that, but I'd assume you get a lot of that, but it's uh, it depends on, it depends, but yeah, like off the people off the street, it's like, they don't want to do that, but they want to go through everything. Like, well, would they take this? And I was like, well, are you qualified to buy it? And like, and you never know. And obviously there's better ways to phrase that, but I think uh, to your point, it's uh, it's very important to go through that process because you might figure out that you are better off than what you thought, or maybe not quite as much, or maybe you still thought interest rates were three percent, and all of a sudden they're eight percent. They quote the potential uh, monthly payment. You're like, holy cow, drastically different. But you had um you had a, a specific kind of worksheet on a on a piece that I want to I want to work through that and. Yeah. Uh, this, I, I like this conversation because it's very much the nuts and bolts and like behind the scenes of land. Like it's easy to talk about how to set up or it's fun to talk about the deer, but this is how you get to this point is like understanding this process. Yeah. I'm analytical. So I'll like, 
I'm always thinking about the rate of return on it. I want to stock markets usually 10% long-term. Uh, there's potential it could be seven, eight, the next 10, 15 years, who knows? Could be lower, could have a flat decade. I don't know what it's going to do, but in the land, uh, you know, it's more of a slow return. I, I think of the return of some of the properties I've had experience with, like that auction piece I talked about last time. I can see the historical sales data from 1997 at 26 grand. I bought it for 170 some thousand. The rate of return was 9% over that period if the person paid cash for it. Then I sold it for close to 100,000 more. My rate of return, if I had just paid cash for it, was for three years was 19%. Okay. If I had paid 170,000 cash and sold it for 160 some thousand cash, right? Or whatever it was. That being said, I didn't pay cash for it. I put 20% down. So I put 40 down and I put a little bit of money into it and I cleared $100,000 or 90 to $100,000 on top of what I put in. So I got 90 plus my 40 back. My rate of return on my cash was like, uh, well, I don't know, 40 to 42% a year. It's huge. It's monster. Years. It's insane. Yeah. Cause and you got to hunt it. And you got to hunt it. <laughs> yeah. And I got to hunt it and I got to enjoy it. Right. So because I sold it in a short period and I, Put the put the time into it. It also was a great time to own land, so it was good appreciation in the area. I bought it at a good price, and I sold it above market because I had the thing like dicked, like it was perfect. Like stands <laughs> in the right place. Sturgis was on it, like it was it was turnkey. And so when you got when you take a blank canvas to turnkey, there's appreciation obviously from that. And so if you're if you're wanting to make money, you make money by selling it quick, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you sell quick, and that's what some guys do. I was only willing to do that one because it was a, I bought it at an auction. There's no hard feelings from the person I bought from if I made a bunch of money. I wouldn't do that on one of these land contracts or personal connections, mm -hmm. like I said. But I also think about my family land that we bought back in 2007, right at a poor time to buy land. My dad's death benefit came from his life insurance. We paid cash for it, 2007, 200 grand. There was a time there in 2010, 11, we thought about selling it and we, were, we couldn't get out what we paid for it. Cause we bought it at a, the wrong time. Cause 2005 to 2008 was a very, very good time to own real estate. Just like the last three years where it ballooned in value. A lot of the return came of the last decade in that period. Mm -hmm. And then there was a bad period, just like the stock market did in that same, same period. And we sold it in 2021, 13 years later for 320 grand. That was only a three and a half percent return on cash. A, we didn't leverage it. So we didn't have bank money. We paid cash for it. And it was a poor time to own land because of what happened in 2008 to 2013, realistically, for real estate. That being said, if I could have bought a property in 2010, 11, 12, I would have made a killing because I would have bought it at the right time. So the timing, the time you purchase is really important sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, long term, I think land's going to do six, five, six percent. I mean, that's what it's historically done. Who knows what it's going to do the next 10 years, 20 years. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a good expectation as historical returns. Um, but the interest expense, when we looked at that Steve Hansen podcast last week, and he talked about a couple that bought a property for 400 grand a day. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, they bought that for 400 grand at a seven and a half percent interest rate. And what does the return look like that on that? If the, it grows at five to 6% a year, but they still have to pay seven and a half percent interest the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I put the numbers out there, the payment at a seven and a half percent interest rate is $3,222. And if you would have stuck, you pay the land off over 20 years. And instead of you would have stuck that in the stock market um, at an, you know, 
uh, at a 8% return, you would have brought it to 1.9 million, okay? Because the interest rate was so high, you only grew that to 1.25 million. So the stock market was a better investment. Mm-hmm. Now, now conversely, if you had a 3% interest rate, the payment would only be $2,200, a thousand less a month. And the rate of return on that investment now was eight to 9% comparatively to what the stock market was. Mm-hmm. So the interest expense really affects that long-term rate of return, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, drastically. Now, the uh, the only caveat to that is I, I wish we would have known if there was income on that parcel too, because let's say there yeah, was, there was sure. 20 acres and then you know, whatever, they got 200 bucks an acre per. I think about those other two properties that I had, like the taxes were $2,000 a year and our income from the 15 acre farm field was 2000 a year. So it was a wash, right? And we never sold timber. Um, That other property at the auction, it didn't have any income. It was a hunting property only. I didn't take any timber off. So I was actually out 500 in tax for three years, 1500 bucks. So I've included that in there, but Income properties sometimes can really help it out. Like that 84 acre land contract I got where 21 grand a year payment, 10 grand a year is income. So that really helps that property out as far as a return property. The problem is that property is not as good a hunting because it's pretty much a farm field, right? So, um, you know, that's why, why do you think Bill Gates is buying all this farm field, right? So, Jeez, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of conspiracies probably with that, but I mean, it's a safe place to park money. And, uh, I think it's always been a hedging consideration. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't think you can buy farm field for significantly under market price. Like you can sometimes recreational land, but yep. who knows I did it. So someone else could too. Yeah, I think I think there's no matter what the cycle is, no matter what it is, there's always deals out there. But it's a matter of how many and how hard you're you know willing to, to hound some up. So, but like a lot of those, uh, I think I think living in the Midwest and like where I live, there's there's some excellent farm ground, excellent top tier. And I think that people forget that out of the entire Earth, the the whole globe, there's only so much really good dirt. Period. Mm-hmm. I mean, so to me, it's when really smart money is dumping a lot of money into that and they understand that there is a very limited resource of this and it controls everything <laughs> in a lot of ways. And so I think it's easy to lose sight of that with someone that doesn't look at the bigger picture. But I mean, uh, this is kind of a fun fact and off topic, but actually uh, Brazil is exporting a ton. So they surpassed us in uh, soybean exports or exports. And so I mean, maybe that impacts uh farm ground in the United States over a long period of time, or maybe that soil, or I, mean, I don't know any of this stuff. I'm just talking off the top of my head. That like, sounds like above our pay grades a little bit, but yeah, for sure. But I just find it, I find it at the very surface level, very interesting. It's like of how sure. uh, complex it really can be. And then sometimes how simple and straightforward it is like, well, yeah, that's one plus one equals two, but then it's like, you forget all the other things that go along with it. Sure. I, but you know, the nice thing about land in general is it's an appreciating asset by land or by a boat. You want to hunt or you want to get on a boat? Well, one's going to be a great investment. One's not. I love it. Yeah. Right. So like, I like buying appreciating assets, whether it's stocks, bonds. I don't really buy bonds because I have a tolerance for some risk. Right. Um, but that being said, uh, land is a good investment. I don't buy, I don't buy like rentals or Airbnbs just because I don't want to deal with, I don't know how to fix a house. I don't want to deal with tenants. I want to be the, the tenant on the land. Right. I want to go hunt it. Right. And I think you can make pretty comparable, you know, maybe not as much money as like a rental because of the higher income, but um, you definitely don't get to enjoy it near as much. And it's more of a headache than anything, in my opinion. So 
Yeah. And I think, I think to your point too, it's uh, the boat versus the land. That's an excellent example of like, if you were going to spend a bunch of money on a boat because you like fishing or spend a bunch of money on land because you enjoy hunting, like it's very clear that the land is the better route. And I think sometimes it's it, everything, it, your position is probably a little bit different than most too, but I think sometimes people want to do something because they want to, and it, there it may be better parked somewhere else, but they get enjoyment out of that. And that has inherent uh, value as well. There's an opportunity cost in every single thing you do, right? Yeah. Like the cost of buying the boat versus buying the land instead. Well, long-term, maybe it's a couple hundred thousand dollars, $300,000 when you can factor in the appreciation, the depreciation on the boat, you know? So like you make these decisions and you live with them, right? I like to, I, I'm a financial advisor. Heck, I think about every dollar and it's probably stresses my, my fiance out quite a bit, right? Um, but you know, I want to put my money where I can make some serious money and enjoy it. And uh, I'm not trying to retire as soon as possible. I, my goal is to create generational wealth. So my kids will have this someday. Right. And they don't have to sell it and uh, they can leave it to their kids. Right. And then I want I, I want to have a big stock account that I can provide income from in retirement. So I don't got to sell the land. Right. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I like that. Have you have you looked outside of Wisconsin much? Because pretty much everything you've bought is—is is it relatively close to where you're at? Yeah, I'm, I, everything's within an hour and a half. I, I mentioned it last time. I had Sturgis up to uh, do one of my properties, and he told me about a ten-acre piece next door that was for sale, and so I bought that, thinking I was after conversations where someone verbally told me I could buy the sixty-seven adjoining. So I would have had a seventy-seven acre in Minnesota next mm-hmm. to Sturgis. It'd have been awesome. Mm-hmm. that was a land contract handshake deal where they backed out on it. Like they talked to somebody and they wanted more money. They wanted market price. And I was going to buy it for three grand an acre when it was worth 3,500 an acre. And they did. So that kind of sucked that they, their word didn't matter to them. But I realized also at the same time that I was never going to get there. Like my, I want to be a family guy. I want to be close to home. I also do four hunting trips a year out of state. And so I wasn't going to want to go to do those and go to my properties and be away from home that much more. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for me to be at, you know, have these properties close to home so I can be home at night. Um, that's my priority. Now a guy that has more freedom or flexibility, if I wanted to shoot bigger bucks, I would not be near Appleton, Green Bay, Wisconsin. There are <laughs> people, right? my, my neighbor's got 35 acres and there's six guys on it during gun season and they shoot four bucks a year. And it's hard to get a four-year-old here, which yeah. It sucks because I could be in Illinois and shoot 180s, but well, I, depending on the neighborhood, <laughs> yeah, that. right. But I, you know, I I would love to buy Iowa land. Well, I just I've got a buddy there that I share in the lease costs, and I go there every year, right? So I I still go to those places to have big bucks, and I can't wait till I shoot 180 inch deer in Wisconsin on my own land. That's going to be such a reward and yeah. a challenge, like you know, so. Um, like this, this new property, I bought that cattle pasture ground last year, yeah, yeah. three, three year olds on it. They all got shot by neighbors and, you know, maybe there was five or six local bucks this year. I was watching the field last night. There was 20 bucks in the field because wow. I had left standing food and I'm now the herd influencer in the neighborhood because I've got the safest 340 acre block. I've got like 160 inch three-year-old there that I just like drooling over. Like, do I shoot it? Do I pass it? <laughs> The neighbors are for sure going to shoot it. So like, but maybe I could just let it live and have a boon or take a risk. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that excites me. That's exciting. If I shoot a big buck in my Wisconsin properties, that's going to mean a lot more than that 156 inch 
Iowa buck I shot last year, right? Uh-huh. So, um, but I, I want it local because I love going to my properties. I am improving them. If it's far from home, I'm going to be there significantly less. I'm going to be away from family more. I get out and do these hunts and and get my satisfaction doing that in the fall. But I want to be close to home so I can go after work. I can take my kids hunting. I can be home at night. I tonight I'm going there to seed my brassica plots and I'm home for dinner. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's my yeah. goal. Other guys want big bucks and you're gonna go to the big buck areas, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's I see I see pros and cons to both for sure. And uh with um so like that 340, with what is your guys' expectations in terms of increasing the age class in that area? Because it sounds like it's I pretty own challenging. 90. It surrounds uh-huh. a 70 acre school forest and the guy I bought from kept 70 acres of egg. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but he doesn't hunt cause I bought from him and he's letting me hunt the whole thing. So like the year before I bought it, that school forest where no one can hunt, it actually housed 185, 190 inch five-year-old. And mm-hmm. so they shot it off the property I bought the year before. So there are bucks that can slip through the cracks. Last yep. year, none of the three-year-olds slipped through the cracks. <laughs> there was one four-year-old I found dead, wounded. It was 150 inches. So, I mean, I've got expectations that I may have one buck to hunt a year there, which mm-hmm. not realistic. If I was in Iowa with 340 acres, I'd like have multiple, you sure. know, and possibly bigger. So, but, you know, Sturgis talks about that buck pyramid. My buck pyramid probably peaks out at four-year-old with one or two of them, right? Mm-hmm. So I just understand what I own. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try, I'm going to push the limits. I'm probably going to shoot less deer, but I've got five properties in Wisconsin, so I can spread it out. Last year I had two big bucks to hunt. I didn't get either one of them. And I shot a mature five-year-old 140 some inch eight pointer. And I was pretty happy. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy with what I got. I go out of state if I need to sh- try to shoot a 180, you know? <laughs> yeah. At least you're not uh, like delusional. Like, oh, it's going to happen. I wish I lived in Iowa. And if I didn't have family and care in a business here, I probably would have at a younger, you know, would have now knowing, but mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. I like to, I'm happy where I live and uh, I have no problem traveling a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so here's a here's a thought exercise to run by you. So, with when interest rates were very low, prices in land accelerated quickly, and so now we're we're in a higher interest rate environment. Uh, possibly will go higher, and then the prices are staying flat, and then they may possibly retract. And so, knowing how that cycle has worked in the past, is it a, is it a viable strategy to if you find the right property, you can service the debt. And assuming that interest rates will go back down and let's say a two-year period, two-year period from today, is that a viable strategy to buy something, lock it up before rates retract and hypothetically prices yeah, I mean, go for another another bull run? I listen to drone, uh, the Fed talk every time they talk. They, in the expectation right now, and I have a chart I can show you, but they expect to cut interest rates about 1% a year over the next three years. They always say that though, like, and, and it could go higher based on incoming data over the next three months that inflation is not going away. If it's not going away, they're going to raise them higher yet. Yep. And if inflation continues to go away, like it has been, they may stop raising and cut early next year. And the expectation is currently what they say, what they think is going to happen is they're going to cut rates 1% each year over the next three years. And so you're going to be casually refinancing lower as rates go down if they go down. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if we're in a bad recession that comes out of nowhere because people's savings are drying up, I know I sent you a piece on that where we yes. can see 
during COVID, people got free money from the government, sat at home to nothing, built excess savings, then started spending it on these investment op options. And people's excess savings are drying up. It's not gone yet, but it's currently expected to dry up around September, end of year here, right? And people's, a lot of people talk about their, you know, credit card debt higher than ever. No, the change in credit card debt's the, the fastest rate ever. We're still pretty low historically, but, you know, inflation's taking a toll and it's eating into people's savings and maybe there's less buyers in the future. I'm already starting to see the supply in my area. I watch all the listings that's coming up. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're flying off the shelf because I don't follow the sales data, but I'm seeing more listings. I'm assuming there's less buyers because of these higher interest rates. I'm getting, I'm getting less buyer inquiries for sure. Yeah. Uh, like when, when things were really hot, I would have multiple, multiple phone calls every single week. Hey, I'm looking for this and let me know if you find something. And so that, that has decreased for sure. There's definitely been better times to buy than currently. Right. I mean, I can think of any of the last 10 years would have been a better time to buy recreational land, <laughs> right. but I, I still think if you're like, if you don't have skin in the game, you're trying to buy your first property. I think now is a fine time. You're just going to pay a little, you're not going to have as high of a rate of return. Right, For the short, but it could eventually level out to where. Yeah, like, you're going to refinance, and hopefully rates come down, and you're con continually refinance, and that's going to help it out. But that earlier interest expense, that's double or triple what it was, is going to eat into the return. But you know, I, I think from a pure return standpoint, now is not the perfect time to buy. Mm -hmm. It was definitely better three years ago, but that's always hindsight. And I think in the next 30 years, it's going to continue to grow just like everything does. And you're going to be just fine if you view it as a long-term investment. I just wouldn't be putting yourself in a tough, tough financial place right now. And like, hey, I barely got enough to buy this property, but I'm going to do it. I wouldn't do it. Like, mm -hmm. But if you're buying your first piece and you're sitting again on some cash and you got plenty of cash flow to do it and you love the piece and want to buy it, go for it. You're going to refinance in the next few years and it's going to come down. And who knows, it could be a great day to invest because the demand could just keep skyrocketing for land and the prices could keep going up. The only way to stop the prices going up is to buy them at the current prices, right? So I I just don't know. That crystal ball is always really murky. And, oh, I, yeah. and uh, I think the key is, is like if you want to commit to saving and not spend money on vacations, the more you save for your future, the better. So focus on how much you're saving. Are you saving 20% of your income? Are you saving five? Well, you're not doing a good job if you're saving five. Right? Sure. Well, maybe you should push yourself to save an extra thousand bucks a month in a payment. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, from even the, the start of this podcast to today, like the core principles have remained the same. Save up, save up your money. And this is from talking to you know, we have over a hundred episodes now. So talking to a lot of different people, it's like the core principles are the same from everyone that has an experience. And it's like, save up your money, find a piece that makes sense, buy it, be able to weather a, a storm if you need to. And over a long period of time, it'll work out. It's like, what, is it the absolute best maximum? Everything's perfect? Probably not. But you talk to any of those people and it's never been perfect for them either. So it's like, you can't have everything. Um, you know, as far as rate of return, buying buying a turnkey farm in the best area at the top market price, like that rate of return is going to be lower. You're paying for a deer hunting, right? But I personally like to buy the blank canvas, the undervalued, and then make it better. And someday when I'm 65 years old with more money than I know what I need to do with, I will have that perfect deer hunting property in the right location, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to build to it. And from a lot of the people that have called me from the podcast, a lot of us are 30 to 35 early starting to save. 
And I think you should be looking for value and good deals and maybe not the 180. It's got a bunch of 180s on camera property. But yeah, that's my opinion. And later in life, you can maybe get that. You can build towards it and you can you make some money at the same time. Yeah, I so. think uh, an analogy I've been using with, with a variety of different people that I just want to share here is like when people buy their first starter home. They know they're not going to live in that house forever. It's a two bedroom, one bath, and you know it's not big enough to raise a, a full family, but it's a good place to start. And you fix it up, you put some, you update the kitchen, you update the bathrooms, and you sell it. Then you go to the three bed, two two bath, and like I almost feel that recreational ground is something similar to that. Like the first piece may be a little bit ugly, and you're going to probably need to do some updates, but it's not your it's not your forever piece. It's not it's a temporary thing. It's a stepping stone to get to where you ultimately want to go. Yeah, I like getting instant equity, so like like I think about that that auction piece, the 40 acres, I made a hundred grand on it. I got my 40 grand and put into it back. I took that 140 and I put it into that 190 acre total 340 acre area. And I bought that property for 660 and I think it's worth a million. So I got another 340,000 of instant equity, right? So mm-hmm. I just, I turned that 40,000 into basically 500,000 of equity in a three year period. Like that was yeah. awesome. And that was just moving the right chess pieces at the right time, right? And so you start small and you can work forward. Um, you know, I you know, I, I agree, get started small, fixer upper, and you can move into something better later. Yeah, for sure. Any other, any other pieces of advice that you wish more people knew about buying land and, and it really catering to some of that, like that 30 to 35 age demographic you brought up? I don't know, I, I just, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that there's just an incredible opportunity to create relationships and, and, and find off the market deals when you're buying. Like I said before, if I was going to sell and needed to sell, I'd go to a realtor in a second because you're going to get me top dollar. Right. Um, but you can find some incredible opportunities, incredible land deals on sale by just creating relationships with people. And um you know, I, the Bill Winky podcast he did, still my favorite all-time podcast. He doesn't buy unless it's 25% in the market. So if you're buying land, you need to know what the market price is. So if you're not watching sales prices and listings and knowing your market, like you could be making a bad deal. But if you know it's worth six grand an acre, because the na- when there's neighborhood properties that are similar one for six and you can buy it for five, I'm all for it, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you should be looking for if you're uh, trying to, you know, get started in my opinion. So. Awesome. Well, I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think there's a lot of, uh, it's more analytical than most episodes, but these are things that people need to have at least uh, acknowledgement of or understand. And uh, I think it helps people look at, look at this in uh, more than one way than uh, what we've traditionally discussed here. So I uh, definitely appreciate you taking the time and excited to hear some updates on the, the last farms that you've you bought over the years and feel free to feel free to let people know how to get a hold of them, get a hold of you in case they have any questions. Yeah. The Edward Jones website has a way to contact me. Um, it's my nick.scom at edwardjones.com is my email. So feel free to reach out or even give the office a call. Uh, you can Google me if you want to find me. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, enjoyed helping people, you know, been on three podcasts now, a lot of new, new friends, new clients, um, I love walking through it. Um, at the end of the day, I can really only physically help with your stocks and your bonds and your IRAs and your 401ks. Um, but I enjoy having these conversations with people for sure. Awesome. We well, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for taking the time and uh, look forward to following along your season. Hopefully this is uh, 
this this will be the Wisconsin year of the 180. My fingers uh, are crossed for you. <laughs> not looking great, but uh, yeah. depends, depends whether or not I'm going to shoot that three year old. I, I think I got to let him go just because of the. He, yeah, he would potentially the 180 for next year. So yep, be a, exactly, yeah. it's a, like an investment. You gotta, you can't, uh, you have to invest in the deer. I've just been a little butthurt the last like three years with all the, Dude, I get it. the potentials that get shot, but either way, I've, I've I've been doing great out of state and I've shot plenty of nice bucks. My walls are pretty full already, so I just gotta I'm gonna I'm gonna probably let them go. So, oh, right, now we we're, we're gonna hold you to it now. All right, so I'm good. <laughs> Thanks. There you guys had. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You can use the code LP to save 15% off the entire Exodus website, or you can use those codes that I talked about in the beginning. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a written review. It would really help us out and have an awesome week. Until next time, see you guys.